You're listening to the Fresh Hell Podcast. Fresh Hell contains stories of a disturbing and often graphic nature and is intended for a mature audience. Please don't let your kids listen to this, or they might turn out like us. Hi, I'm Annie from the U.S. And I'm Johanna from Austria, and you're listening to your favorite international podcast. Before we get on with part two of the murder of Oceana Sneed, a couple of organizational stuff we need to tell you. First of all, if you listen to this episode after the 1st of July, 2023, so between the 1st of July and the 31st of July, 2023, please do us the huge favor of going to podcastawards.com, register, and please vote for us to get on the final slate of the People's Choice Podcast Awards. You can vote for us in the following categories. True Crime, Best Female Hosted, History, and People's Choice. Please, just as last year, make sure to tick the little box that asks if you want to be considered to vote in the final round for the winner. Yeah, definitely. You want to check that box. Just like last year, they will randomly choose voters. So you register to vote and then you vote. And that's how they make it so that you can't vote as a bot. It's a pretty secure situation. And then if you check off that box, then a small segment of initial voters are randomly chosen to vote for the final vote. Don't worry about registering with them, with, you know, giving them your information, because we've now done this for a couple of years. We won Best Female Hosted twice, twice in a row now. And last mm-hmm. year, we won Best History, which I think was a real dream of both of ours, especially Johanna's. That was amazing. And then we weren't really sure whether we were going to participate this year, but we here we are. We're in it. And now we want to <laughs> win it. So yeah, just go ahead and register. They don't spam you. They're not going to give your information to other people. It really is a good organization, and it is just specifically for these awards. And I'm really hoping... I might be able to visit you in December and bring a carry-on bag full of trophies. Fingers crossed. That would be the dream. Wouldn't it be so great? (laughs) Start building your trophy case. But yeah, they're not gonna, they're not gonna spam you. They're not gonna give your information to, you know, other people. They just will email you to let you know if you're chosen to vote in the final. And I think last year, quite a few of our listeners were in our Facebook group were chosen to vote in the final, which is amazing. So thank you so much in advance for your support. Thank you. Also, we received received a couple of reviews, one I want to mention at the end. This one, we just want to mention, Mini AK Peruk left a review saying that they don't have Facebook and they weren't sure how to check our sources. So we have been trying to add our ever-expanding list of sources to our webpage, but we still haven't found a satisfactory way to do that. Johanna has thought recently that I think might work, that maybe we can create a Google Doc and then link to that on our page. So I think I think that might work. And yeah. somewhere I have a list. I have a Word document somewhere where for a long time I was copy-pasting all of our sources into a Word document somewhere, I think. So I think as soon as we get a little downtime, we're going to try and see if that will work. Until then, Minnie or anyone else listening, if you have any questions about sources or would like a copy of them, you can always contact us via email. Our email is freshhellpodcast at gmail.com, and we would be happy to send you a list of our sources for any episode that you are interested in. And one last thing, Annie mentioned it before already, she's going on a big trip with her family, and actually when this episode will drop, so Friday, you will be already gone, right? You're leaving on Thursday. Yeah, I am. I have been planning this trip for years, all through COVID, and it's here. We have an amazing house sitter here with Opus, so I think when this episode drops, I am going to be in my home away from home, the UK. And that means there would be two weeks now where I would be doing the podcast alone. And if you listened to last week's Something Good, you might remember that I slipped in the garden and hurt my ankle, uh, still acting up, by the way. And Annie Mm. told me that the universe telling me to put my feet up once in a while. 
So I decided to do exactly that and that I too will take a quick two-week break. So we will be back on 30th of June with a brand new episode. I'm really so glad that you're you're going to do that. You've had a really chaotic, busy, busy, busy couple of weeks. And I do think you need to just take it easy a little bit. We, we can't afford you to <laughs> injure yourself anymore. Plus, this actually works out really well because we have a sort of special 200th episode combination thing that we're working on that I think Mm -hmm. has something for everyone. But it requires a lot of, it's just a lot of reading. It's kind of an infamous case. And we want to make sure that we sort of cover as many of the bases as we can, you know? So, so this will help us actually get, get prepared for yeah, it's, it's just an exciting 200th episode. It's going to be an exciting topic, yeah. Yeah. So I'll be working on that in those two weeks. And I also want to get the new merch store up and running. And I will also try to be active on Patreon and on our Discord channel. So it's not really a break, but just focusing on, on other things concerning the podcast, apparently. <laughs> so please come and join us there on our Discord channel uh, via Patreon. And I will also work in the garden. So that's it. I think that's everything, right? I think so. Now, let's talk about the Sisters in Black. The sources will be just like last week. Uh, we will be mentioning suicide again. And if you haven't listened to part one, please stop this episode right now and listen to that one first. Otherwise, you will miss a lot of information. And if you already listened and need a quick refresher, Annie will give that to you right now. That's right. Annie's going to give it to you. All right. Now, if you're like me and you waited to listen to part one and now you've just finished that one and you don't need this summary, go get a glass of water, pee, treat it like a commercial break on television back in the day, right? We're going to try to keep this pretty short, but to fill you in or remind you, last week we talked about Oceana, also called Osi by her family, who was born in 1885 as the daughter of Caroline Bell Wardlaw and Robert Maxwell Martin, both members of prominent Southern families. After her father's death, Caroline and Oceana moved to Murfreesboro to live with Caroline's sisters, Virginia, president of an all-female college, and Mary. Mary is a widow as well and mother of three sons, John, Albert, and Fletcher. Caroline takes over the college. She is now in charge of all organizational, educational, and financial decisions. Also, around that time, Oceana falls ill under somewhat suspicious circumstances. Even more suspicious, as a life insurance policy had been taken out in her name shortly before her illness. With Caroline being in control of all the finances, the school started to miss payments. And also, there was some creepy behavior on behalf of the three sisters, who were constantly dressed in black, with black veils, just creeping around, (laughs) creeping people out. It really did lead to students leaving the school. They just noped out of there because it it, it it was too much creepiness. You can't underestimate the creepiness. So yeah, the school board put an end to it and kicked the family out. Unfortunately, the school could not be saved in the long run. But that's all right. Soon after, Virginia found herself running another female college in Christiansburg, Virginia. Shout out to Terry in our Facebook group. She was like, I used to live there. My nephew told me all about this case. I guess this is still very much a uh, popular, which of course it would be, right? Popular story at the local high school. So yeah, Virginia went back to Christiansburg and once more, her sisters arrived to support her. Mary's sons, Fletcher, John, and Albert were not with them in the beginning But Caroline went to John, who was already married at the time and had a toddler-aged son, and convinced him to come back with her to Christiansburg to teach at the college. What followed were two terrible accidents that John had, falling off a train and almost drowning in a cistern. These accidents might have been attempted suicides or attempted murder. Not long after the almost drowning, John died in a fire. He was found in his room engulfed in flames, and unfortunately, he didn't survive this time. Again, the three sisters, so his mother and his two aunts, claimed it had been a terrible accident, but witnesses were sure that it had been suicide or perhaps murder. His nightshirt and his bedclothes had been saturated with kerosene. And that's where we left off last week. And if you hear laughter in my voice, I'm not laughing. The, the awful way this poor man died. I'm laughing at the fact that someone burned to death in a bed that was soaked in kerosene 
And the family were like, it was just, it was an accident. Mm. Yeah, I mean, John was dead and the three sisters were adamant that it had been an accident. They said that he had tried to start a fire in the stove or that he had tried to light a lamp and that his nightshirt had caught fire in that process. Of course, the big question is, why was it so important that this was seen as an accident? Well, of course, there has often been prejudice and shaming throughout history when it came to people ending their own lives. But in this case, there was another reason that was far more important to the three sisters in black. John's needs life insurance. Only recently had he had changed the beneficiary from his wife Annie to his aunt Virginia, and so now it was of extreme importance that the death of John was ruled an accident so that the insurance was paid out. And so the sisters ran around town and tried to find people who would give written statements that there was no reason to believe that what happened had been anything but an accident. And in the end, they were successful and they received a total payment of a little bit over $12,000, according to the inflation calculator that would have been almost $400,000 today. So that's serious horse money. Oh, yeah. Now, while John's need was going through all the struggles during the last month of his life, one of his brothers had to deal with similar things. It wasn't Albert, he was out of reach on his ranch in Colorado, but it was Fletcher. Remember, he had lived in the same town as John, the two had run a sawmill together, and both got married to sisters. John had married Annie McLaurin, and Fletcher had married her sister Vashti. It's an unusual name. Very, yeah. And they too had a son. After John had joined his mother and aunts in Christiansburg, Aunt Caroline had come for Fletcher. One day she had shown up and told him he needed to go to Louisville, Kentucky to take care of some family business. I think he was supposed to sell some family property or to claim some family property, something like that. And it shouldn't take too long, right? Wrong! A few days after Fletcher left, his wife gets a phone call from Chattanooga. I've been to Chattanooga already and I enjoyed it very much. So Vashti gets a phone call from Chattanooga. We couldn't verify if it was Fletcher who called or Caroline or some other person, but I honestly assume it was Caroline. But I honestly assume it was Caroline. <clears throat> yeah. And Vashti hears the news that her husband is in Chattanooga and that he's sick. So she is worried, obviously, and she travels to Chattanooga. Uh, and it's not that far, it's 230 kilometers or 142 miles. And today that would be a two and a half hour drive. Back then probably took you a whole day by train. What do you think? Yeah, probably. Yeah. So she arrives in Chattanooga and wants to see her husband. And, you know, she wants to make sure that he's okay. But she's greeted by Caroline and the aunt tells Vashti that she can't see Fletcher because he's too unwell and that Vashti should return to Lindbergh and Fletcher would be home as soon as he feels better. So she returns home and waits and waits. And after more than a week without any news about Fletcher, she returns to Chattanooga once more, trying to find her husband, but he can't be located, so Vashti returns home. And after waiting some more, she and her family decide that she should file for divorce. Does that seem like an odd choice to you? I just... It's very final, yeah. <laughs> it's like, my husband is being held by his mysterious, creepy aunts. No one will let me see him. No one is updating me. This is very suspicious. You know, I think what I'm going to do is leave him. Like, what? <laughs> like, it, it's just kind of a left turn for me. I didn't... I don't know. It doesn't seem like things were going great, does it? Well, we know that Caroline was very convincing and we don't know what Vashti was told. Well, that's true. And she also saw what all this was doing to her sister Annie. Yes, of course. So she just wanted no part of it. She was like, Probably, get me away yeah. from this crazy family. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. All right. So, and if you're asking yourself if Fletcher also had life insurance in his name, he did. Those alarm bells should be ringing at least a little bit. So after Fletcher's divorce from Annie was final, he got married again. And some of you might have already guessed it, given that these two episodes are titled Oceana Sneed, and Fletcher's last name was Sneed. So, yep, Fletcher and Oceana got married. Now, we have two accounts of this wedding. The first version comes from Caroline, Mary, and Virginia. And their account says that Fletcher and Oceana had fallen in love 
had a secret love affair, and that is why Fletcher never returned home. And the three sisters had been absolutely against this affair, against this relationship between the first cousins, right? But the couple wouldn't listen, and they insisted and got married. Now, the other version comes from people in Christiansburg who knew Oceana and Fletcher, and they said that they would never have guessed this because Oceana and Fletcher appeared to be rather distant and not at all like a young couple in love. Of course, etiquette would demand that you shouldn't be too affectionate in public during that time, but I'm sure there was still a way to tell, right, if two people had any kind of feelings for each other. There's, even today, you can tell if there's polite conversation versus genuine interest in another person, Mm. okay? So, they were friendly, they liked each other, but were they in love? Some sources also say that Fletcher and Osi had actually eloped to New York, that they got married there, and Fletcher started to work in another sawmill, and that the three sisters were furious about it and later followed them. You know what? This is also absolutely confusing, and I honestly don't know what to think. I went through everything I could find on Ancestry, and I found a marriage license or a marriage registry from New Jersey for O.C. and Fletcher. So it could absolutely be possible that they eloped, but the date makes no sense to me because it says date of marriage, 1908. And you will hear in a minute why the timeline confuses me so much. I know. All right, so the three sisters had this 12 grand in insurance money that they received after John's untimely and absolutely horrific death, but that was far from enough for them. Over time, they met with a plethora of influential businessmen, bankers and investors, trying to get loans from them or other financial support to get Montgomery College, the school Virginia had taken over from their Aunt Oceana, back into shape. They even offered ridiculous interest rates of up to 20% for any loan they would be given. They also started to sell some of the school's inventory, like old pianos and valuable furniture. I mean, that's all right, right? After all, Virginia owns the school and all of the contents of the school. Yeah, there was a problem, though, that they sometimes forgot that they had sold furniture or a piano to another buyer already. So basically, they were scammers. They were total Mm. scammers. They really managed to ruin another school that had previously been in good standing thanks to their financial mismanagement and their very bizarre behavior that sparked, once more, all sorts of rumors in town. Again, there was talk of them walking around the graves at the local cemetery, and then local students started to vandalize the school. I think it was probably seen similar to those witches' houses some small towns have, you know, those rundown houses that have some spooky, creepy rumors surrounding them, and then youngsters would do these dares, and they, they say things like, touch the entrance door, or throw a stone through a window. You know what I mean? I know, I do. Also, I know exactly what you mean. While we're at it, please don't do these kind of things. I know our listeners wouldn't, but I still feel the urge to explicitly say it. Oh yeah, don't vandalize old buildings. Yeah. That rock could have broken irreplaceable old wavy glass. Explore, hang out safely, stay the hell away from ledges or stairs, and don't ever vandalize. It's just beneath you, you know? Plus, if you ruin the creepy old place, there's no point sharing it in our Facebook group 20 years down the road. We only want non-ruined abandoned places. Thank you very much. But yeah, so in this case, the vandalism was was way more severe than just a rock through the window. Some young men even climbed on the roof and ripped up shingles. They ruined the trees in the yard. Like, really, really horrible, just, just destructive, nonsense stuff. Awful. And in 1908, the three sisters, O.C. and Fletcher, finally left Montgomery College. I think at the time it had been renamed Montgomery Hall. And so they left Christiansburg and they all went to New Jersey. Something else happened in 1908. Oceana and Fletcher's first child was born. It was a girl and they named her Mary Alberta Sneed. Sorry, just another quick interruption. See, that's why the timeline is making me spin. The marriage registry said that O.C. and Fletcher got married in 1908. 1908 was also the year when the sisters had left Christiansburg, and O.C.'s and Fletcher's girl was also born in 1908 in February. And I don't have the month of the of the marriage license, so I assume it was shortly before the girl was born, right? So the only way that all makes sense to me is 
Fletcher and O.C. either truly fell in love, or, what I think is more likely, they wanted to get away from their family, and they only had each other to rely on, so they ran off to New Jersey sometime in 1907, O.C. gets pregnant, and the two marry shortly before the child is born, and then sometime later in 1908, Caroline, Mary, and Virginia follow them to New Jersey when they, are, when they leave the school. Yeah, that's very possible. And there's another possibility in another version I read where Fletcher and O.C. get married in Kentucky in 1906 in a secret ceremony behind their mother's and aunt's back. And then in 1908, when they had already moved to New Jersey and the three sisters had kind of started to get used to Fletcher and O.C. being married, they had a second wedding. That would work with the 1908 marriage license mm. from New Jersey. And if the first wedding took place in secret, that would explain why there was no marriage license from Kentucky. But it can just be really hard to find marriage licenses sometimes. Like yeah. some documents are easy to find and others are, are hard. If there was one fire or flood, it could be gone, you know. So it's just all really mysterious. Her entire life is very mysterious. Mm. I mean, in the end, the exact timeline is not that important. But, you know, as we always try to make sense of things. So, Oceana gives birth to Mary Alberta on 9th of February 1908. Unfortunately, the little girl passes away only three days later, on 12th of February 1908. So now there are five grown-ups living in a rather small apartment in New York. It's on 1693 East 48th Street. It appears to me that that's in Brooklyn. Of course, O.C. and Fletcher both had life insurances in their name. I read differing things in sources, but what I read most of the time was that in the case of Fletcher's death, Caroline would receive $24,000 and O.C.'s death was worth uh, over $30,000. So that's a lot. By the end of 1908, O.C. was pregnant again and Fletcher noped right out of that situation. He just up and left. He probably had a very bad feeling about the whole life insurance thing and how so many people in his family had already died and they all conveniently had a life insurance taken out in their name just shortly before their death. There's John, of course. But what we haven't told you yet was that Caroline's husband, Robert Maxwell Martin, who had passed away in New York in 1901, had had a life insurance in his name, as did Oceana's older brother, Hugh, who had died in 1888 at the age of seven after he had fallen down stairs. And the beneficiary in all of those deaths? Caroline. And we also haven't told you until now that in both deaths, Robert's and Hugh's, there was reason to believe that they might not have died by chance. You could have easily been pushed down the stairway, and when Robert had died, witnesses reported that they had rushed into the room to help, alarmed by Ose's loud crying, and that they found Robert's body lying on the floor, Caroline bending over him, looking at O.C. and saying, Remember. And with that word, O.C. fell silent immediately and looked rather scared and intimidated. I also have to add, of course, this is all just hearsay and could have been easily added after the fact or even later on, right? Yeah. But I think we all see a pattern by now. Lots of dead family members and lots of life insurances. Yeah, it's too many dead family members it's and it's much, also yeah. yeah your husband so your husband died your son died and don't get me wrong i mean obviously i know as well as anyone that these things happen but this is really a lot and their behavior is bizarre and just mm. how little we know is so frustrating fletcher's gone and the three sisters tried to convince everybody that fletcher had been depressed and he'd left a suicide note and he had gone and he had he had taken his life and of course, they tried to cash in on Fletcher's life insurance, which was $24,000. Today, that would be around $730,000. So you could buy heirloom carpets for your horses with that <laughs> kind of money. But the insurance company was like, yeah, no, sorry, there's no way that we're going to pay out on that. There's not even any proof that Fletcher Sneed is dead. And so we're not giving you that money. So was Fletcher dead? No. He had gone to Canada. He'd fucked off to Canada, and he was living there under a false name, and he never talked to Oshi again. She truly believed that he was dead. 
Now, it's debated whether or not he stayed in touch with his mother, Mary, or his aunts, Caroline and Virginia, during that time. But what's not debatable is that he simply left O.C. in the care of these women. And from that time on, it got much, much worse for Oceana. Now, remember last week, we told you that she was confined to her room for prolonged times, and it looks as though her entire life, she was sort of kept under control by starving her slowly, you know, refusing her Mm -hmm. food. But once Fletcher was out of the picture, the starvation was really taken up another level. And around that time, Caroline started to drop remarks here and there, like, wow, it would be a really handy time for Oceana's life insurance money to come in, wouldn't it? Because they were running out of money. Wow, maybe if we're lucky, Osi will die in childbirth. Can you even, like, mommy dearest stuff, Mm -hmm. basically. And so they kept her weak on purpose. They denied her food and care. And they really hoped that this frail young woman would not survive labor. It's, yeah, this case makes me so angry. Mm Mm-hmm. On August 2nd, my dad's birthday, uh, 1909, Oceana gave birth to her second child, a son. She named him David Pollock, and much to Caroline's disappointment, her darling daughter did not die, but the mother and the baby were both very weak, and a doctor was called in to check on her. I think the midwife, it was the midwife or a neighborhood, like a woman who lived in the neighborhood who helped with the delivery that called the doctor, and they called Dr. William Pettit. He had been attending the young woman a couple of times prior he'd been to the house, and he'd been truly shocked about the state he'd found her in. On several occasions, he had told the three sisters that Oceana needed more food. This is an article from the New York Tribune from the 1st of December, 1909, which was a Wednesday, page 2. And in this article, Dr. Pettit talks about his experiences in the House of Mystery, which is what the neighbors had started to call the house where the sisters and Oceana had lived. Quote, I was called in to attend Mrs. Sneed by one of the three elderly women who I met at the house in East 48th Street about August 1st. I was directed to the sick room on the second floor. The patient was a young woman about 25 years old. She appeared to me to be refined. One of the older women told me that she was the young woman's aunt. I made other visits after that, but at no time was I able to find out from Mrs. Sneed anything about herself. Every time I asked a question, one of the three old women was always ready to give an answer. Mrs. Sneed seemed afraid to talk. She appeared to be under the influence of the persons around her. This was the time of the birth of her little boy. Quote, What I could never understand was why such a woman would voluntarily live with with three such persons as her attendants. They looked disreputable to me. They were careless about their appearance and unfitted for association with refined people, but they never left her alone. They occupied part of a two-family house, which was only partially furnished. The presence of the young woman in such a place with such companions certainly looked mysterious. I never saw any men about the place. I only heard from one of the old women that Mrs. Sneed had a husband who died seven months ago. End quote. So one of the things that I thought was interesting in that little snippet is just learning that the the women were not only creepy and kind of malevolent, but they were also smelly and unwashed Mm. and unkempt. That adds another upsetting layer to things. So after Oceana had given birth and Dr. Pettit was called to check on her, he informed the sisters that the young woman needed postpartum surgery. And of course, the sisters said, absolutely not. We don't have money for this kind of expensive operations. And Dr. Pettit replied that it was just as well because Oceana was so weak that she would probably die during surgery anyhow. And all of a sudden, wouldn't you know it, their demeanor just totally changed. And they were so happy, downright giddy, just immediately agreeing to the surgery and telling the doctor that he should tell Osi that she would most likely die and she should change her will to favor her mother instead of her son David. They even offered the doctor a thousand dollars in case he could convince Oceana and she would do this. And of course the doctor was appalled, but he did perform the surgery and it was actually a success and Osi lived. So this comes from that same article as before. This is the doctor. 
He says, quote, Another time I called at the house on one of my visits. No one answered the bell. I had to get in through the front window to see my patient. This time, only one of the trio of women was in the house. She followed me to the room where Mrs. Sneed lay ill. The young woman wanted to talk, but she seemed scared to death. I did not go there after that. I gave up the case because the elderly women did not take care of Mrs. Sneed the way I wished. They refused to let me take the stitches out of a wound made in the operation upon her. The stitches may be there now. End quote. Mrs. Mogg, the trained nurse, when seen at her home, number 273 East 39th Street, Flatbush last night, told this of her experiences. Quote, I was called in to attend Mrs. Sneed by Dr. Pettit on the morning of August 18. The operation was performed shortly before noon. I stayed with Mrs. Sneed all that afternoon and evening, leaving there between midnight and one o'clock the following morning. Mrs. Sneed did not want me to go. She wanted me to stay all night, but the other women, who never left us alone, insisted upon my leaving, saying they could take care of Mrs. Sneed. I did not have any conversation with Mrs. Sneed whatever. I could not because the other women did not give me the chance. Whenever I went, one of them kept tagging after me. I was not left alone with Mrs. Sneed for a single moment. End quote. So the nurse was not allowed to come back to look after O.C. and Dr. Pettit gave up the case, as he said. There are two different versions that I read. One says that the doctor simply stopped going there because he felt he couldn't do anything for her. The other version says that he stopped going there mostly because he was not allowed to take proper care of his patient and because the three women in the house who should have taken care of Oceana sabotaged his efforts constantly and of course he also didn't get paid properly but that he didn't just abandon the case altogether. Some newspaper sources of the time say that he actually reported the case to the police saying that there was a woman being starved to death and that it was the police who dismissed the case. We don't know if that's true, but given the fact that he even climbed through a window to attend to Oceana, I'd say that I think it is true. He seems to be a doctor who really cared about his patients. I agree. I do agree with that. It's incredibly frustrating that nothing came of any of this, you know? It makes me so sad that Oceana tried to signal mm -hmm. that something was going on. It's so sad. Only a couple of months after David was born, Caroline and her sisters took the baby boy and brought him to a hospital because of his poor health, which is good, right? But Oceana would never see him again. And there exists a photo of Oceana. It's really sad. She's lying in bed with her infant son and she looks so skinny and frail. In September, Virginia visited a lawyer and asked him to kind of forge or alter her niece's will because she was dying and they wanted to change the beneficiary from David to either Caroline or Virginia. Of course, the lawyer refused, but he did offer to come to the house and talk to Oceana in person. And when he arrived there, he was absolutely horrified from what he saw. A pale, frail-looking young woman lying in a dark, gloomy room. She was almost catatonic and appeared to be under the influence of something. And that's true, she was regularly given morphium by the sisters. Caroline was standing in the room, all dressed in black with her black wheels, and uh, she was chanting hymns. And the lawyer became really angry and told the women that this young woman needed to see a doctor. And they replied that they couldn't afford a doctor. And he said, well, then at least they should give her food. She appeared to be starving. And the sisters replied that food also was a luxury they couldn't afford. The lawyer was smart and he took out his checkbook and he pretended to look for his pen. And I'm sure he made this whole dance, you know, of tapping all over his pockets uh, to look for the pen. Right. <laughs> and the sisters... Seeing the checkbook, they were quick to run and find a pen for him. And now the lawyer was alone in the room with Oceana and she woke up and told the man that she felt she was dying and she reached under her pillow, pulling out a piece of paper and it was her will. And she insisted that this was her only will, her son David being the beneficiary. And if after her death, another will would show up, he must know that she didn't write or sign it. After the sisters returned with a pen and after he wrote a $5 check and told them to get Oceana some food, they offered him $7,000 if he would change the beneficiary in Oceana's will from her son David to her grandmother Eliza, who was still alive at the time. I think they figured it would be easy once Eliza inherited everything 
Then they get their hands on all the cash they expected to come in after Oceana's death. I think they thought that it's less suspicious in a way. Yeah. Give it to our mother, who we also have insurance on, probably. The lawyer acted as if he would think about it in hope to buy some time, but I think he never heard back from the sisters. Next thing they did is trying to offer some men some money if they would take a dying woman out to the countryside and just get rid of her. So fucked up. They offered the deal to the milkman and to a plumber. All of them refused. I wonder why they didn't report this to the police. I'm not even sure if they did or didn't. I think they didn't. I can only assume they didn't think it was a serious offer. Maybe some kind of creepy joke. Yeah. I don't know. In November, all four moved out of the house in Brooklyn. Mary and Caroline moved to a hotel in Manhattan. And Virginia and O.C. moved to a house in East Orange, New Jersey, at 89th North and 14th Street. On the 29th of November, 1909, around 4 p.m., Virginia called the local police station and asked for a coroner to come to her home, as a young woman had died. They told her they didn't have one on call, but that they would call the local physician. They contacted Dr. Herbert M. Simmons, and he and a police officer arrived at the scene around an hour later at 5.10 p.m., and at first, they thought they were at the wrong address. The house looked as if no one had lived there for quite some time. It was completely dark, the paint was chipping, and the front yard was just a mess. He knocked, and a woman dressed in black, her face covered with a black veil, opened the door. She was carrying a lamp or a candle because the house had no gas, no heat, and no electricity working. The house was unfurnished except for one cot where apparently both women slept. Virginia claimed that her niece had gone up to take a bath earlier that afternoon, but she had grown worried a while later and checked on her, only to find her dead in the bathroom. Then she led the two men there. And this is how Dr. Simmons described the scene when he gave testimony. This was printed in several newspapers. This particular one is from the Brooklyn Daily Eagle, December 11th, 1909, Saturday, page 1. Quote, he told of Officer O'Neill being called from the Orange Police. Quote, Mr. O'Neill, Miss Wardlaw, and I went to the bathroom, he said. At this point, Miss Wardlaw removed her veil and was identified. We found the woman lying on her right side, knees flexed, head lying under the faucets, he continued. We examined her. She had a washcloth in her right hand. The fingers were not closed over it. Nearby were a shirt, a petticoat, and a waist. On that was pinned a piece of paper. The paper was shown to Dr. Simmons for identification. I took the paper from the clothes and that night gave it to Chief of Police Bell, he continued. Then we went into the bedroom and found a cot. We also found a picture of a child with some writing on it. I gave that to Chief Bell. I interviewed Miss Wardlaw. I instructed Officer O'Neill to telephone the morgue keeper to come and get the body. I left the house and left the body in charge of O'Neill. End quote. Recorder Knott then asked if the head was toward the faucets. The witness answered yes. Gustav Kunz, the city morgue keeper, was next called and testified that he arrived at the house at about 5.30. He said, quote, Officer O'Neill met me at the door, and I found a lady in the bathtub practically covered with water. I then took her to the morgue. While she was in the morgue, no person claiming to be a relative appeared. End quote. When the body was examined, they realized, like as we said, the cause of death was drowning, and Oceana had been dead for more than 24 hours. And when Virginia was questioned about why she hadn't called the police sooner, her story started to show some inconsistencies. She claimed that Oceana had been sick and depressed for a while already, that she had gone up the previous day to take a bath, that she didn't check on her until the next day. The investigators, of course, asked why she wouldn't check sooner, and asked why it didn't appear suspicious to her that Oceana, who was sick and weak, said that she was going to take a bath in a house without heating and without heating up any water. It's freezing. That time of year, it is cold. And there's no heat, there's no hot water in the house, so what, what is she doing? You get the idea. There was a lot wrong, and the police eventually decided to arrest Virginia. Also, the suicide note. So the article mentions the suicide note, and there's a photo of it, and it reads, quote, Last year, my little daughter died. Other near and dear kindred, too, have gone to heaven. 
I long to go there too. I have been ill and weak a very long time now. Death will be a blessed relief to me in my sufferings. When you read this, I will have committed suicide. My sorrow and pain in this world are greater than I can endure. O.C.W.M. Sneed. End quote. Needless to say, not only was there no ink and pen in the room they found the suicide note in, but there was no ink or pen in the entire house. So, when exactly did O.C. write that note? It's not like she ever left the house. Mm. They had a handwriting expert check the note, and his opinion was that the signature was written with another pen and ink than the rest of the note. Investigators soon discovered that the family history, all of those suspicious deaths, I mean, we knew about all of that already and how kind of wild it is that that many people died. Mm. But they also found that interesting. They also talked to neighbors and learned that Virginia and O.C. had only recently moved to New Jersey. So they went to Brooklyn, where they'd lived for a while prior to that, and they spoke to neighbors. And they heard all of these people uh, talk about the, quote, house of mysteries. And they did find bones and at first thought that these were maybe infant bones and they had discovered an illegal baby farm. I think the the thing was that at that time, there were several infamous cases that involved baby farms, you mm. know, in the beginning of the 20th mm-hmm. century. So baby farms were or are, I'm sure there are still horrible things going on in that regard. Oh, yeah. They were places where women would give birth and their babies would be sold off. So it's basically human trafficking of infants. Yeah, that's its own episode, to be sure. Or sometimes they would even get murdered. There were many, many cases or several cases where the babies that women should take care for the mothers while they were somewhere working and they just murdered Mm -hmm. the babies. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Awful. There's a lot of stories like that. Yeah. But in this case, that wasn't what was going on, thankfully. They found that it was actually animal bones. But that didn't make the case less, less awful. Mm. Let's see what else did the police find. They actually located Fletcher. He was in Ontario, where he lived under the name John Lucas and worked first as a dishwasher and then later as a second cook at a hotel. He didn't tell the investigators why he had left his pregnant wife and uh, why he basically had her believe that he was dead, but at least he didn't have anything to do with her murder. And he remained a free man, and eventually he moved back to the US where he died under his real name on 12th of January 1955 at the age of 79 in Los Angeles. They found Mary, so Fletcher's mom and Osi's aunt and mother-in-law, in a hotel in New York, and she was arrested. And they also found Osi's mother, Caroline, in yet another New York hotel where she stayed under the name Mrs. Maybrick. And she also was arrested. The thing is that she was under a fake name already shows that she knows that... Oh, yeah. She knows. I mean, it shows they did something. Yeah. Because why else would you hide? Yeah. Yeah. Caroline was charged with murder and Mary and Virginia were charged with accessory to murder. The three sisters were all jailed in the same cell block while awaiting their trial. I think that's a fabulous idea. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) And indeed, Caroline immediately tried to take control of the situation. She, for example, ordered extravagant meals and she ordered everyone around, not only her sisters, but also the other inmates and guards. And she was mostly successful, so she hadn't lost her very convincing nature. Their first lawyer quit halfway through because the sisters wouldn't listen to his advice at all and they tried to tell him how the law works. Lawyers hate this trick. (laughs) Uh, And so the judge had to appoint another lawyer, a Mr. Beasley, to take over the case. Poor Mr. Beasley. Yeah, horrible. Can you imagine? While all of this happened, unfortunately, baby David Pollock, who had been taken to an orphanage after he had been in the hospital, Uh, He died on 18th of July, 1910. He was buried alongside his mother and infant sister at the Mount Hope Cemetery, where also Oceana's father, Robert Maxwell Martin, had been buried. The three sisters were still awaiting their trial, and Virginia actually decided to end the whole thing on her own terms. She simply started to refuse food and literally starved herself to death. The attorney even called for relatives to come to talk to her and convince her to eat, but they were not successful, and Virginia died on 11th of August 1910, so shortly after her 58th birthday in jail. That was the New York House of Detention. 
this is what the newspapers had to say about that. This is from the Buffalo News, 12th of August 1910, which was a Friday, page 46. Quote, Miss Wardlow is dead of starvation. One of the mysterious sisters under indictment for the murder of Mrs. Sneed. New Jersey, August 12th. Miss Virginia Wardlow, one of the mysterious sisters under the indictment for murder of Mrs. O.C. W.M. Sneed, the East Orange bathtub victim, died in the house of detention here yesterday. Death was due in the opinion of physicians to starvation. The fate of the elderly woman in this respect paralleled that of her alleged victim. For doctors who examined O.C. Sneed before her death said that her ailments were all due to the lack of nourishment. In the opinion of jail attendants, Miss Wardlow deliberately starved herself to death. For several weeks, the woman's condition had been growing worse. In the cell she occupied was found a quantity of food which she had concealed. What effect Virginia Wardlow's death will have on the fate of her imprisoned sisters is still to be determined. She was the dominant influence of the strange household and predictions are made that Mrs. Caroline B. Martin and Mrs. Mary B. Sneed, the other sisters, will never be brought to trial, end quote. I think it's rich to say that Virginia was the, the dominant one here. Yeah, I would have thought Caroline was more of the... It was definitely Caroline who pulled all the yeah. strings. Yeah, I think so. But it's good for Caroline if it looks like it was Virginia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? And they weren't wrong. Caroline and Mary never stood trial. Just like their first lawyer, their second lawyer quit the case after Virginia's death, and then a third lawyer was appointed. Thank God Mr. Beasley got out of there. And then the third lawyer, he managed to get them to enter a plea bargain. And so Caroline pled guilty to manslaughter, and she was sentenced to seven years in prison. Seven years. That's it. After everything that this woman did to her daughter, and probably many, many more members of her own family. Of course, Caroline thought the sentence was way too harsh. Seven years. And she screamed and screeched when she heard it. Mary got off scot-free with Caroline claiming manslaughter. There was no way that she could have been an accessory to that, right? So the definition of manslaughter is, according to the Oxford Dictionary, quote, the crime of killing a human being without malice aforethought, or in circumstances not amounting to murder, end quote. Mary was let go, and she died on the 24th of October, 1937, at the age of 88, in California. I wonder if she moved there because her son Fletcher lived in California as well? And also, where else could she have gone, right? Definitely not the back south, where the rest of her family lived. Do we know how the rest of the family felt about the sisters? Well, I think some maybe in the beginning thought they were innocent and, and such, but I I doubt that in the end they were really on their side. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. I think that's the kind of family who wouldn't talk negatively about family members in the public I agree. eye. Yeah, they'd close ranks, I'm sure. Yeah. They kept yeah. that quiet. Yep. So Caroline, now in prison serving her sentence, developed mental health issues. I should probably say worsening mental health issues because you can't be sane and do what she's done so far. But things got worse. And so she was transferred to the state asylum in Morris Plains, Morristown. It's now known as the Greystone Park Psychiatric Hospital. And that is where she died on June 21st, 1913, at the age of 68. This is from the New York Times, 21st of June, 1913. This is a Saturday. Page 2, and it says, quote, Caroline B. Martin dies, had been committed as insane after confessing to killing her daughter. Special to the New York Times, Trenton, New Jersey, Mrs. Caroline B. Martin, 67 years old, mother of Mrs. O.C. Sneed, found dead in a bathtub at her home in East Orange under circumstances that led to the mother's trial and conviction of manslaughter, died late tonight in the state hospital for the insane here, to which institution she had been committed after being sentenced to seven years in state prison. Her death is regarded as mysterious by the state hospital authorities. An autopsy will be performed upon the body tomorrow to learn whether she committed suicide or whether she died from natural causes. Her sister, Miss Wardlaw, committed suicide in the Essex County Jail while being held as a material witness during Mrs. Martin's trial. Mrs. Martin at first pleaded guilty to involuntary manslaughter and then changed her plea to voluntary manslaughter. She was committed to the asylum as insane about three years ago. The motive for the crime was believed to have been a desire to obtain 
Mrs. Sneed's insurance. End quote. They mentioned the autopsy report here, and they did indeed perform an autopsy, and it stated that she died of heart failure, so that did put these rumors to rest. Justice in this case, though, is a little bit lackluster, don't you think? Yeah, just a little lackluster, to say the least. I think, I think it's awful that this woman was sort of, from from what we can see, from from the evidence that we do have, it really looks like she was drugged into a stupor by her family for years and starved for years and years and years, and just no one could ever do anything about it. I just don't understand what the what were the sisters, what was their goal? Like, what was, what was it all about? Was it just about the insurance money? Why were they so creepy? I think it was just the money. Yeah. Well, I really think that, like, the wandering around the cemetery and just leaving the house in the night, I think that was kind of probably added on later on. I'm not sure. I think so, too. But what I don't understand is why... It's not like they only dressed in mourning clothes. They sometimes wore like three wheels one on top of each other and like Caroline was described of wearing like these baggy dresses and then five blouses on top of it like why I don't understand yeah I think Caroline probably had a mental health problem from the beginning I mean everything she did I was gonna say yeah it almost sounds like Caroline yeah was was acting under someone else's that didn't exist sort of yeah she was very controlling and, and she was the oldest and the, the yeah. other two sisters just, just fell in line and they probably never questioned anything that was going on. I mean, it's so sad because Mary had, had one of her sons die because of all that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And she still kept continuing doing what Caroline said to do. I, I think Caroline probably killed everybody, but, you know... And I think you're absolutely right. I think probably Caroline was very seriously mentally ill, but persuasive and smart mm. and charismatic in a way that her sisters responded to. You know, I just, I do wonder what Fletcher's whole situation was. What was that all about? Like, why did they drag him there? And then was it just to try? Do you think they just wanted the insurance money? Do you think that's the only reason he ran? I think they didn't like him to be out of reach, like when he was married with Vashti and he was living his life. They couldn't control him. Control him. They couldn't get him to take out insurance. They, you know, he was out yeah. of reach. He was kind of safe, like Albert. I don't think they liked this situation at all. No. No. That's awful. And I also don't want to say that the other two sisters are not to blame. I mean, they are just as guilty, obviously. But we read that when Virginia was running the first college in Murfreesboro, right? Everything was kind of okay until... Caroline appeared and took everything mm -hmm. over. Yeah, Caroline really seems to be a problem. And when she's when she gets involved, everything just kind of goes to shit, doesn't it? And I think that uh, Virginia starved herself. L looks like she at least felt some kind of guilt, right? Yeah, I wondered whether that was like her penance for what she did to her niece. Yeah. Who even knows what happened to the granddaughter that died three, you know? Mm. It wouldn't be Who difficult knows, yeah. to smother a child in its sleep and then say yeah. it just, you know, I mean, yeah. who knows how many times this woman killed people. She probably pushed her firstborn down the stairs. I mean. Of course. Yeah. Wow, that was an awful story. Thanks. You have something good? I do. I have so many good things. My trip is finally here. So that's exciting. And I'm like kind of now panicking in my last. It doesn't matter that I've been planning it for years and have literally pages of notes and like it's insane the level of planning because it's just taken such a long time to get here i hope my dad has a good time you know we're doing this for his his 80th is this summer so this is like a his 80th birthday trip and of course he will eh, he's like yeah stop dragging me all over the place but i'm just gonna keep doing it <laughs> he ha also has to come here so you need to drag him around Oh, there he he does want to go there. Yeah, he's excited to okay. go there. Yeah. <laughs> also, two of my favorite shows just ended. Ted Lasso and the marvelous Mrs. Maisel are both over, and I loved them and will miss those characters very much. But I thought it was particularly harsh to have two se series finales in the same mm. week of like. Really I so big understand shows. you. Yeah, you know I still miss <laughs> Elizabeth and Philip from the Americans, my friends. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm. 
and I finally finished The Nick. Now I know why you said I have to watch it all the time. It's like, so in real life, there's The Simpsons did it, right? Because Mm -hmm. The Simpsons are like freaky precogs who have already done everything that happens in their show. The Nick is that for everything that we've covered. And (laughs) now I get why you're like, you have to watch The Nick. You have to watch The Nick. And I had no idea that so many little things that we talked about were in it. Even like yeah. Malaria for Syphilis. I was like, oh, Malaria mm-hmm. for Syphilis. I'd never seen that before until the until the John List case. All right. What about you? Uh, my something good is that Philip is coming home for vacation 10 days on 25th of June. So that's exciting. Oh, no, that's like right when I get home. So like, I get back <laughs> from fine. vacation and then, oh, no. It's all good. That's also another reason why I thought I can take two weeks off now and just prepare episodes for when you get back. That's true. To record. There's so, so. much reading to do for, for our 200th. So I'm really excited about it, but it's a lot of reading just to make sure that... Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our episodes, we would be so, so grateful if you would leave us a rating and a review. And I just wanted to send a really quick shout out. We've gotten some really, uh, really nice reviews lately. And so, Hibamoff, thank you so much. Your review made us cry. It was so nice and Mm -hmm. so nicely thought out. And also, ditto Tennis Rocks. Yeah, shout out to uh, Flagler alums. Just the nicest. It just makes our day. I can't even tell you how much it makes our day that you took the time to write such nice things in a review. If you didn't like this episode, try a different one. We got a lot of different topics. And when, if we're not the right show for you, that's okay too. We're free. Yeah. And there's lots of free entertainment out there for everyone. We just appreciate <laughs> it. That's all. Yeah. That's all I want to say. Very much. Very much. If you want to know more about ways how to contact us, uh, how to buy merch, how to support us, Go to our webpage, freshhellpodcast.com. There you find all the links. Our email address is freshhellpodcast at gmail.com. Send us your listener stories. Send us your experiences with the creepy and macabre sides of life. If you are interested in our Patreon, we just had our monthly get-together for June where we discussed the disappearance of Maura Murray in a very informal chatty way. Not, you're not missing episodes, but it's nice. We get together on our murder tier. We also will have our newest uh, murder tier. What is it called? Merch. Like your special... Special, special VIP, VIP item that's get, only yeah. for our murder tier patrons. Exactly. So we ran out of patron pins and we have a new item that's hopefully coming in soon. And all of our murder tier patrons will be receiving the new item. Yes, also the ones who already are murder tier patrons for a long time. Exactly and also, right. there are two people who wrote that they're still missing the pin who have been a murder tier patron for a long time. Don't yeah, worry. Amy and Mary, I have you. Mm-hmm. I have both of you. And I just need, I actually just need to look up your addresses and get those things in the mail. So yeah. I still have two set aside for Amy and Mary. So don't, ladies, I apologize. It's safe. I have it in a safe place. It's going to get to you. But yeah, everyone else is going to get the brand new item. And then this time next year, there'll be a new item that will go out yeah. to everyone. So we're going to make this an annual thing now. Yes. Yes. Something you can kind of collect if you're in the murder tier. And I think that's it. Please tell your pets. We said hi. Hug them, cuddle them, take them to the vet, give them treats, check them for ticks. I don't know what you do with all the other... I, I just have experience with, with dogs. I don't know how to take care of an iguana or of a bird yeah. or... Of a snake. Sprinkle his vitamin powder on his crickets. Make sure that his cage is the right temperature and humidity. Yeah. You know, make sure they all exactly. have fresh, fresh water. Don't tie anything outside, for the love of God. If it's too hot for your feet, it's too hot for theirs. Get them little booties. Yeah, very you know, important. It's time to not leave your dogs in your cars anymore. If it's hot in your area or getting hot, it's also a nice thing to do. That's something I do always. I put out water. For the birds and yes. some water for all the other insects in very flat plates. And just make sure everybody stays hydrated out there. It's going to get hot. Be also kind to other humans out there if it's safe. And be kind to yourself. And that's the hardest part of it all. That's right. And if you're going through hell, keep going. Tschüss. Bye. Bye.